0: Welcome to this week's Who the Folk podcast. I'm Lev Gringaus, a contributing writer to TC Folk. This week, we sit down with intern architect Zane Gale. He recently finished a graduate degree in architecture at the University of Minnesota with a master's project focused on redesigning Minnesota Hillel. And funny enough, he has been involved in the very real process that Hillel is now undertaking to redesign their historic building on University Avenue. Zane talks with us about that process, where Judaism comes into his architecture, and the lessons he learned from his master's project on this week's Who the Folk podcast. So, tell us about yourself, Ben, because you came from the mortal enemy of Minnesota, Wisconsin. Uh, Tell us about that. How'd you end up in Minneapolis?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, So my name is Zane Gale. I am an intern architect at LSE Architects. I just graduated a few weeks ago from the University of Minnesota with my Master of Architecture degree. I actually wound up in Minnesota because I at the end of my undergraduate career, I was looking at all my options and whether or not to go to graduate school or to start working right away. But I um I also I knew that I wanted to get out of Wisconsin at least for a little bit. So is there a subliminal thing there of you need to get out of Wisconsin? Well, gr- growing up as a Chicago sports fan in Green Bay, Wisconsin, it's it's a little tough, so I, th- I, th- I thought I'd try somewhere new. Um, no, yeah, so at the time, um, I was applying to graduate schools, so but also considering that every city the, that whatever school I was applying to was in, I was thinking of what was beyond that school and what were the, my career opportunities, so... Over my senior year of my undergrad, I applied to about eight different graduate schools. And then that coming spring, or sorry, that following spring, um, when the time came, I chose the University of Minnesota because I saw it both as a great architecture program, but also there's been exp- exponential growth over the past 20 years. In all my life, I've been coming to the cities to visit family, and I've always seen how cities have been steadily growing so i thought i saw that as a great opportunity um, to be a starting architect in a city that is constantly growing and not like a city such as denver or seattle or portland where they have lots of building and construction going on but it's only very recent i'd rather pick something that has steady growth rather than more exponential you heard it here first other cities
0: suck minneapolis is the best Um, and just to, to touch base on that, so where,
1: was the firm you're working with right now? Um, I currently work at LSE Architects. It's a medium, kind of large-sized firm downtown. We're about 50 people. Uh, we mostly work in education, and um, we're starting to look, in, look into and work in um, hospitality, casinos, uh, senior care, um, and actually one of the projects that some of these listeners might be accustomed to is the St. Paul JCC um, just last year. Oh, wow. They helped um, it was our project, oh, sorry, the company's project, I didn't start yet, um, to do the uh, renovations and the additions of the pool and everything. And also they did some funding work for uh, uh synagogue. So, yeah. So, a community staple.
0: That's yes. awesome. Um, so, then, let's dive into your background. Then, How, then, does your Jewish background inform
1: the work that you do? Well, growing up Jewish um, in a very small town um, where, in fact, my family was the only Jewish family, um, I, it was very important to me. And also, every summer as a kid, I went to Camp Interlaken, which is part of the Milwaukee JCC um, up in Eagle River. And so, uh, just all those Jewish values and teachings, and also what my parents taught me of always, whatever you do, you should always try to help others. and Initially, when I started studying architecture, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. But then, as I went on throughout my undergrad career, I kind of saw that architecture, or as an architect, you have the capability to help communities. And thus, you can use your work to help others, um, either directly or indirectly, no matter what you design. Um, so that kind of just gave, that gave me motivation, in, like knowing what I want to do. Because um, community, for me, is a very important thing, and I'm ecstatic to work at a firm that most of what we do is are projects that are about the community, either directly or indirectly. But again, I'm able to use my career in a way that I want to, to help others. And then that led into... Um,
0: choosing for your master's project to work on Hillel and a possible redesign of Hillel. Just to, to be clear to all of our listeners, this isn't what will be happening with Hillel. This is
1: a master's project, but it's a really, really cool design. So tell us about that. Yeah, my uh, my master's project would probably be the very expensive alternate to what's going to happen for the Hillel. Um, so yeah, my master's project was... um. It, it started from my one of the earliest interests I ever had in architecture. Um, my father is a clinical psychiatrist. And so as a kid, I was always wondering what influences people. Um, like, how do people make decisions? What, what, what are the subtle things around us that influence us and help us, in a way? Um, and so that's something that I've always been curious in. And I was talking with my professors at the beginning of the semester. And they agreed with me. It's a great great question to ask, but again, my project is only 16 weeks and not eight years, so I was asking more something of a a real uh, dissertation and not a master's final project. Right. Um, So I kind of had to downsize it a lot, Um, so I kind of questioned... like, how can I help people de-stress? Because in the campus environment on most American college campuses, it's a very stressful environment for everyone. Um, and so I wanted to try to create something that might be able to help people feel relaxed. And um, I kind of just chose Hillel because it's, even in my undergrad, it, for me, it always felt like home. And, it, you know, Hillels always market themselves as your home away from home. So I kind of started off with that question of, or this question rather, of what can I do to create a building or create a design that's going to feel like home to everyone, no matter their background and no matter why they're coming to the building, but how can they feel like they're at home? Um, and again, that's, even that in itself, I was told to, to downsize even that question um, because I had, to, I had to get to the very poor and just a very simple version of that. Um, again, this is a, 16 weeks sounds like a lot, a lot of time, but as an architecture student, that's that's pretty quick. Um, um, so in front of us, we actually have some of the designs that
0: Zane drew up. Um, and we're just going to you know, go through it generally. Zane's is going to walk us through and tell us a little bit about the specific design decisions that he went with to facilitate
1: that feeling of being a home away from home. So the idea of the building is that as you progress through the spaces, you're continue, continually dis, uh, disengaging from the local context. Because, again, Hillel is in a very popular spot, both with student life, but also just the traffic on the street. It's, it can be very noisy at times. And so my design is a way that it's stepping away or breaking away from the local context of campus at every level um and some of these again this what i designed wasn't what i wanted um again i wanted to do much more comprehensive and much more detailed consideration and for focus but again 16 weeks is not enough time to do that no of course um so then what what specifically
0: did you do in order to separate from sort of the outside world
1: so, coming into the hill of with Hillel, one of the most important spaces from a, a student survey that I did was that while well, it's not used that much, is that the shul or the, or the sanctuary space where we usually suggest you Friday night uh, Shabbat service, but that's an incredibly important space. But currently how it is in the current building, it's that you enter the building, go up half a flight of stairs and turn right and you're there. But there's there's no process to it. It's, it's it kind of has this notion that you can quickly go in and go out. But I wanted to create this pathway and experience of traveling from the street edge, going through this building. And as you're going through, you're disconnecting until you actually arrive at the sanctuary. And it's completely disconnected from the local context, because again, it's not about the space itself. It's about what's on your mind. What are you thinking as you are in that space? And that's something that I felt very strongly about. Um, so this process, the building was kind of broken up into basic programmatic levels and areas. But again... Um, in your design right now? In my design, of gotcha. how I approach. I can go for hours about the current building. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do that some other time. But uh, so essentially is that as you you start to separate, for, uh, you start to go further back into the, the building away from the University Avenue, you're you're disengaging from the local context. And then every level you ascend is uh, sort of an area that you're going to spend more time so that the basement is more of a recreation that would also be where storage, building mechanics, the the back at the quote back quote, back-of-house operations would be. Um, but then the first level would just be like a student study space, uh, the new out space. That's where I would propose to put it um, because, again, it's a place to socialize. You can be there for a short amount of time or long. But um, as you send, you come to the the study space. Also, your staff offices, uh, student library would be there, meeting rooms. Again, this is more of an intermediate space where you can be there for as long as you need. But then, um, like, the first two floors are, like, your everyday spaces. um, Almost every day of the week, people are going to be there and using it. The third floor would be... Um, just, just for a dining hall for 150 people plus a fully kosher kitchen. Um, and again, the idea of that is that it's not going to be used every day. Maybe students can come up there for meetings or just a study, but for a real program or an event, it's only going to be maybe weekly. But again, it, it reinforces this notion that it's a more important space because it's not used as often. And you're further away from that context that stress. Um, the the hustle of student life. Um, And then you would ascend to the fourth level where the sanctuary would be, and it's completely isolated um, from the local context. Again, there'd be a um, phenomenal soundproofing because I as a student have experience where you're trying to have a Friday night service, but then the neighbors on both sides are blasting party music, which again, that's their right. They can do that. But again, it's just, it's disruptive to the, the the current operations of Hillel. Um, so that's just a very quick overview. What's the oh. What's the most radical part do
0: you think of your design? Um, like the, either radical, either as in sort of far out in
1: idea wise, or far out in terms of what people would normally think of putting in your space. Um. Well, this kind of goes off of a student survey, and just think about what can make what could add to this. Um, is that the basement would actually have a half-court basketball court in- wow. included inside. Um Cool. It's I know Madison has one, but it's only on the roof of theirs. So you know, in Madison, Wisconsin, you get what maybe a couple of weeks a semester that you can actually well, use the it. The fact that you just said that Madison has it means that we're going to get one on the next
0: building because we but can't ours have be, be better.
1: But actually, uh, <laughs> in my research and doing case studies of other campus hillels, I spoke with the director of Madison Hillel, and he's a great guy, and he said that that was more of an afterthought that they kind of noticed it that they had that space on their roof to do it. Not it wasn't really. A part of the original design. So it makes sense. But again, the fact that you can only use it a few weeks every semester, either early in Early in the fall, one or maybe if you're lucky in spring. But right. it's Wisconsin, so we we also get snow in May. So, um, so
0: you you mentioned you keep mentioning the student survey that you were doing, and I know you were also involved in the original committee to sort of kickstart the process of Hillel redesigning the building. Which for any of our listeners who might not know, is now official. Hillel on University Avenue will be redesigning their building over the next two years. I think it is. Um, so tell us about the process as much as you can of being on that committee, doing the student survey, and what you learned through that process.
1: Yeah, so i um, trying to think when—it feels like a long time ago. Um, so back in the spring of 2017, after I decided to come to the University of Minnesota, I had a free weekend. Um, so my dad and I came, and we toured the campus and the local area that, that Friday. And um, I just wanted to tour the Hillel building um, because I, I went to UW-Milwaukee, which is, has a great Hillel, but it's very small. And also the Jewish population um, on campus is rather small compared to the U. Um, you know, so I just wanted to see this Hillel and compared to the one I went to for my undergrad, it was a massive building. Um, I met Benji, started talking, told him that I was uh, going to be a Master of Architecture student. And he mentioned to me that they, um, there might be a way that I could get involved in how about Hillel Hillel. And so then, um, in the fall of 17, I just connected with Benji again, said, hey, talk to him, like, he mentioned, I may be, I may be, I may be able to help out, uh, Hillel, and he said, yeah, we have a building committee, um, and we want, we're looking at redesigning the building, because even the first time I went in that building, I had some serious thoughts about what needs to change, which I think is everything, but, (laughs) yeah, but, um, yeah, we um so I got involved and there were a lot of discussions. Um and it's it's so long it feels so long ago. Um I'm just trying to remember everything. Um yeah, there there was just discussion on what to do with the building. Um I think it it wasn't a real actual proposal, but it, you know, everything in these discussions was discussed whether to would we wanna sell it, would we wanna completely tear tear down and rebuild. Um but we had to think about what would be the most beneficial to students, um, because again, that's that's the purpose of Hillel. That's the that's why everyone's so involved um, from the staff, the student leaders, and also the alumni who support Hillel, um, we, we had to we had to think not only for what what the students of that are currently at the U, but what are the students in twenty and thirty years? What are they going to need? Because That's about your... Nowadays, that's about the average lifespan of the building. Um, But we... Everything was discussed. Um, It was agreed by everyone on the committee that Hillel's proximity to campus was perfect and it couldn't be better. Um, So it was agreed that Hillel wasn't going to move from its current address. Um, And then we did discuss whether or not to uh, renovate the building or to completely tear it down and rebuild and just what was more financially feasible but also what was what made the most sense because structurally the building is sound um but that being said it does uh because of, of parts of its construction type do make it rather expensive to renovate um but there are many many meetings um and then that and then um toward in late december or early january um i actually proposed to the rest of the committee and the board of directors to actually conduct a feasibility study, um, which is a common tool in architecture and, and planning projects in which you um, a firm is selected, and they, it's a very, like, in-depth interview, essentially, like, working with the client to really figure out what do they need and, and compare it, like, needs for wants. What does the client need? What do they want? And how can you, like, achieve both? So basically, bringing in another firm to help advise the committee on what to do next. Yes, um, Lisa. Um, yes, and um, the board of directors uh, chose MDG Architects, which is a smaller firm in Saint Paul. So then. That's the work of the committee. Where then did the student survey come in? Um, so the student survey was a part of the feasibility study that we what? were working with MDGN, comprising. Um, I have experience doing certain student surveys from my research as a um I have, I have student survey experience from my research as an undergraduate student uh, at UW Milwaukee. And so I kind of volunteered to work on that um, because also I knew that I could ask questions that would give me insight to my own design questions for my project. Um, so I worked closely with MDG on comprising questions um, to, to really get the insight, not basic run the mill questions, but really trying to look into what makes CLL special. Why do students come here? Why do they come here on a Friday night when they could go to some restaurant before they go out on a Friday? Why do they come to Hillel Well, I can see the free food but like right what, what beyond be, beyond <laughs> the free food what makes Hillel a place for students to come to on a Friday night and what do they need of need out of Hillel because it's it serves so many students in different ways um, and it's really, it's something hard that you it's hard to give a metric or a measurement to these things but we did I did the best I could in trying to understand what makes it so special. Um, so what then were, what were some of the top general ideas that students uh, responded to? Um, I'd say uh, some of the more basic things like, you know, the free food, which is always great. Um, like having a place for Jewish events on campus um, that, that are kind of more reformed in approach. Um, some students felt that very important. Also, they felt that it's one of the few spaces where it's kind of safe to be, to express your Judaism. On um on or near campus, um and that that really spoke to me. But um some people said that how for them it's the only time they get to see some of their friends is on Friday night because the strip again the stress of student life. Um again people saying that they they love chillal. Um, I can't count how many responses I got talking about how much they love chillal. Um uh, pleased to come and nap because well I never got to as a student but apparently students like to nap. Um, and that kind of, it, but also at the time uh, for my own research project, I was going through the Hillel archives, um, on the camp at the campus archives collection. Um, and I was, that was amazing to see because there were just, uh, some of it was just random things included, but, um, some things that I began to see were, uh, responses and RSVPs for old alumni events. And, like, people filled out information, like, when they asked for their personal stories or did they know anyone that met their spouse at Hillel? And then, like, a pattern emerged where I'd see one response, but then they'd reference 15 other people that I saw in previous responses. Um, And it was really incredible to see that not only how friendships and connections form when students are at Hillel, but also, like, how Hillel creates these bonds that literally last forever. Um, I can speak from my own experience that both friends I made at Hillel for my undergrad here at the U, but also just um my the friendships I made when I was a camper and also working at Camp Interlock and how most of the my most of the friends I made there are my they've been my friends for almost all my life and I know that they will be for the rest of my life. So it's it was really incredible to see that. And then just to really think that I was kind of I could help in a way to recreate that um, create that environment or in the a place where that, that we're going to be able to ensure that that continues to happen for more generations. So then what kind of advice would you give or are you giving
0: to uh, uh, the people currently running the redesign process? What would you
1: you know, like to see as a top priority in what's going on now? Um. Well, I haven't seen any revised versions of the plans for a few months, but uh, I, I think that a lot of the input the early input from the committee um has helped the design uh, come along that we made sure that certain things were included. Um, you know, the, the very basic things such as making sure that the building is physically accessible to anyone. Um that is one of my own type of priorities because um, well, that is both required, but um also I think it song sends a very strong message about being a welcoming environment. Um because the current building is very, um, by the ADA standards or American with, Americans with Disabilities Act, it is not compliant whatsoever. Um, there's no elevator, there's no ramp. Um, I think that they should consider the long-term lifespan of the building and the ability to change it or modify it in whatever na- way they will need to. So... Um, I think that kind of goes into more, much more of the detail side of, uh, you know, construction type and, um, how things are put together. And at times where things are going to be located in place simply because it's, um, um. If you do it now, you, you'll be able to change it in the future at a much, much more efficient price, right? Um,
0: okay. So then last question, making it a fun one. Um, I gave you a bit of a head start. I'm expecting a good answer. Um, If you could design any Jewish holiday, what would you get 14 or 15 million Jews around the world to do
1: on a single day? Hmm. That's a good one. Um, hmm. That's hard. I I don't know if I could design a holiday, but I would just say to, if if it were possible, just get more people to like observe Shabbat in their own way. Um, I'm... I'm more of reformed and a little bit conservative in my practice. I find Shabbat one of the greatest things because it's a way to somewhat just remember. It's a way of being reminded just to take a breath, just to relax. Um, and it, it sounds crazy, but it's. I think that's very important. And actually, that that notion that um, Shabbat is like a it's a break from the normal. That's kind of that. Ties back into my design in which that's what I kind of wanted to create. I wanted to create this environment, but it's, an, it's a place where you can stop in if it's an hour or if it's only 10 minutes, you're able to come in, you can sit down, you can breathe, and then you can go back to what you need to do.
0: Great answer. All right. Thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you. Thanks so much to Zane for joining Lev on this week's podcast. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review the show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and others. If you have suggestions of somebody who would be a great podcast guest, please email me. You can get me at editor at tcjewfolk.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.